This is the Master Plan. I am Alex Mademochoritis. I'll never forget the day I downloaded my first Twitter dataset. I was a student working on a submission. It was late at night and I was trying to find a way to make a map of what the citizens of Barcelona were saying on Twitter about their city. I was working hard on making my algorithm work until I got that damn line of code just right. Clicked on run and boom, my spreadsheet started to be filled with thousands of rows of information on all the tweets that had been posted in the last two months mentioning the word Barcelona. Along with the text, I had gained access to the name and surname of the users, their age, the time they had posted it, their location, any images they had attached to it, any links. In a matter of seconds, I had gained access to the backend of Twitter and I had broken zero laws. It was a powerful moment that made me think deeply about the power of this technology. I had to pause and look at my computer screen while the spreadsheet kept registering more and more rows of data. And at that moment, I understood how easy it was to scrape the internet. I thought of Facebook. I thought of Google. I thought of privacy. I thought of morality. It's been six years since then, and now all the students that came after me learn how to do this at some point in their studies. Personally, I've come to understand that data is meaningless, as it's just the act of recording something. What matters is why you want to record it, what information you plan to derive from it, and what actions this information will instruct. Just as with any other technology, intentions matter. For architects and urban planners, data science has truly become a game-changer, as it allowed us to move away from the world of speculation and go straight into what we call informed decision-making. Architects and urban technologists Veronica Soshka and Joseph Bosale went through a very similar journey this year and thought that it was time for us to get a fresh perspective on this complicated, ambiguous relationship that the world has with data. People still have very distinct, very different opinions about data and it goes from loving it to hating it, but actually um, it can help us with crucial um, problems in our society and sometimes might even help us deal with that or, <laughs> or love. As a personal experience, I would say that uh, I worked for uh, a while in urban design and uh, the conventional approaches and uh, after being in IAC, I, I think I found like a long lost love you know, uh, you know, the I was dealing with data. It was accessible to me in previously, but uh, I thought that there's something missing. I I needed new tools and techniques that would that are more advanced. I mean, uh, uh, once I was in IAC, I I really decided to search for to work more on computational design, data-driven approaches, uh, and I'm still improving my skills. And uh, I really remember. Uh, during the first three months, I got this idea of mapping like my data, mapping my commuting patterns in Barcelona. This is where I got this like big idea of using data. And uh, I was a bit disappointed because I didn't do this. Like It was a reality check that I didn't tick one option in my Google Maps that to track my actual location everywhere. And uh, I was disappointed. And uh, But since then, when I was aware of that option, I was like, I'm, I always check my timeline every month, where I have been, where I'm going. Besides that, I'm an urban technologist, but 
as an even a normal person, you would really love where what are the location, the new locations that you went throughout this month. It would be fascinating to check that every now and then. Yeah. What do you think? To me, working previously in the regular architecture sector, it was uh, always very surprising how architects see nothing else but their buildings. And I always wanted to understand the bigger picture. It's, well, relationship between this building and the city and its impact on the environment. But after further reflection, I quickly ended up with the topic of data because um, because of the fact that I was trying to do it, but I didn't really know what what should be the base of it. And the data happened to be a common ground. And it's funny how now, as I started working with data, sometimes people act as if they were not understanding at all what I'm working on. <laughs> um, although, on the other hand, in my opinion, they're completely submerged by this reality. Um, yeah. Remember, Joseph, the tech TED talk that we watched um, that was called We're All Scientists? Yes, the Rebecca Nugent, I guess, one. Yeah, The one yeah. she talks about her mother, I guess. Yeah. Rebecca Nugent, a teaching professor and the director of undergraduate studies in the Department of Statistics at Carnegie Mellon University. In her TEDx CMU talk, which you can also find on YouTube, she gives a very good example of how we're all creating sophisticated and complicated data models in our heads on a daily basis. If you ever doubted whether you'd be good at data science, I believe this clip from her talk will show you otherwise. So this is a poem, The Road Not Taken, by Robert Frost, and this is an example of a type of annotation assignment that you might see in an English class or a writing class, etc. This is the stuff my mom excels at. So there are a couple of ways that we could think about this assignment or this, this piece of analysis. The first is I could just think about analyzing the theme, right, the words in the actual poem. And when I'm looking that, I might think, all right, I see the word yellow. Does that mean that it's autumn? I'm going to start looking for other words that match that potential theme. I start looking for things like, do I see more positive words? Do I see more negative words? Do I see questioning? Do I see repetition of words? All of this is data that is being processed and helping you build a model toward what is the actual theme here? What is happening inside this poem? How am I going to interpret it? These are all variables that you've been keeping track of the entire time. That's one way to look at this assignment. Another way might be how to actually teach students how to annotate, so how to find sort of strategies that contribute to better learning outcomes. And I mean things as simple like, where did you write on the page? Did you write close to the words? Did you write far away from the words? Did you underline everything? Was everything important? Which words did you circle? What time of day or night did you actually do these annotations? All of this is information that can contribute to how a student is learning this poem or learning the skills that we're trying to teach with this poem. So how I might handle that problem is all of this data that's being collected, I might input as variables into a spreadsheet. I could build a kind of a complicated prediction model using some statistical software package. It might take me weeks to do correctly. My mom, the English teacher, does this in her head. She just reads what the students are writing, thinks about all of those data and the variables, and creates a prediction model for how the student is learning. 
Which features might be more important for her to teach the next day in order to improve their chances of learning? So she's doing this all of the time. She's not thinking of it as doing statistics or data analysis, but she's doing this all the time. As are the rest of us, the amount of data that we process, analyze, model, collect, et cetera, every day is staggering. So by one set of estimates from UC San Diego, it's up around something like 16 hard drives worth of information for each person each day. That's unbelievable. So how can people who process, analyze, model, collect, et cetera, that much data every single day and also make fairly rational choices all day long based on probabilities, how could they possibly think of themselves as not math people? Data science, in essence, is people science. However, the word data on its own is so packed with meaning that it always needs to be elaborated on. What kind of data are we talking about? Big data? Small data? Geolocalized data? Social data? Urban data? Environmental data? Depending on the context, the word changes and takes upon a different adjective to suit it. It's clear that it's a placeholder for something much larger. Now. Data scientists know this quite well. It's only when you mix data with a creative field such as architecture that things get messy. However, its relationship to architecture is not new, as historically, architects and planners have always been using data, whether it's to count the height of their buildings, the width of streets, the number of bricks needed for construction, or the number of inhabitants. It's computer science that took the conversation to a whole new level and transformed data and information into a tool of unprecedented importance for the creation of insights. Yes, true, without even knowing the notion of data science. Like we were using data since ever, I mean, in different fields. Planning, especially because the city was growing throughout history and they were discovering these kind of challenges uh, one by one and they didn't have the right tools. But it really reminds me of the mapping cholera in, in London with Jon Snow. Jon Snow, yeah. Yeah, in the end of the 19th century. Like, in the big, well, Jon Snow knows something. I mean, <laughs> like, he, he just made this hypothesis of linking uh, 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 the water supply with, uh, with what's happening with the spread of cholera. And they just disregarded his opinion until he mapped that. And he just showed them that really there is a connection. It's not only about like a naive perception of saying it's a bad smell or it's a bad quality or whatever. He just made it by just detecting the right information from the right source and mapping uh, the source of water with the location of the death in the in the city. And this is how he tried to overlap, like we do now in our um, in all our studio or, or our uh, like uh, analysis data analysis. We, you try to come up with a lot of to find a lot of data sets from open sources and try to come up as well from your own your own indicators to get new data sets as well to the and to share it with everyone and try to come up with uh, with an idea or a concept um, yeah it, it has been there since ever but the the notion wasn't there we didn't discuss it as a data it's just, people would discuss it even the recording the recordings that we've heard is only related to getting the information Right. They they would never say it's data. Data is a right. very big word for that's them. the I think that's the key word, Noah, right? It's information itself. Well, data can be whatever but collected by whoever. I think data we can say it's an act of collecting something, storing something. 
But what you actually do this and how you translate it into something insightful is what we're really into. Correct. So there's also this idea of bias that comes a lot with data. I mean, data is what you want it to be and you can, anything can be data at the end of the day, right? Uh, depending on what you're interested in uh, knowing more about, I, I guess is the, I'm not, I'm not sure. How, how would you, how would you define it? Yeah, but I, I think this is a point of view of the person that works with data. It's like how we know that anything can be data or whatever you just said, but Actually, for many people, still data collection is like very one-sided. It's like you know this narcissistic, narcissistic person who doesn't care about you at all. You know, one-sided lover. Let's yeah. say <laughs> yeah, um, uh, it's like we, we feel always with data that we're only giving and we're not uh, we're not getting anything in return. Which is, I guess, it's the op totally the opposite. Because well, what do you mean by giving? <laughs> I mean uh, people are always concerned about data privacy and like uh, they're getting our data from our phones and all mm. this like you know fuss about uh, data collection that it's just making the data collection in one corner of it and it's a big a wider thing it's not only about getting data from the people because mm -hmm. the people even that we're searching for on the internet is already done someone did this co data collection and we're using it for free and we're not just aware of that right yeah. i don't uh, i think it's um it's people are getting concerned about big companies um, collecting or selling whatever the data, but the loophole in the general understanding of this topic is that decision makers and academics fail to deliver to the general public the proof that actually every all of us we benefit from it. So. Um, the data is not only about your shopping or your social media or privacy or Google Maps even, even still, it still encounters a lot of hate, in, in, even though it's a great tool and we can argue on that. I know? guess people are just afraid uh, of participating in the system, like mm. they, because they're afraid of this data privacy thing. thing. Exactly. Uh, but I mean, look at the, mm, the example of New York that, um, for example, they are um, gathering data uh, on noise of mm. different kinds, mm. um, even if it's like inhabitants or dogs barking, traffic, whatever. And then, translate, they, then they translate it into data. And based on that, they take decisions on the ameliorations, on like the improvements that should be introduced in the city, uh, by the municipalities and it really we would be surprised on how many um, interesting things we can see when we map those data because we can see that for example uh, I don't know the most quiet neighborhoods are just next to the most loud and it makes us ask a lot of questions on like why how can we change that that etc etc yeah I mean I guess this also goes to another important topic, which is the context itself. Like living in a city like Barcelona, where data is collected on a daily basis, stored and openly accessible, I think we do feel the difference. You guys moved to Barcelona, what was it, eight months ago. Um, do do you come from a city that data is collected in such a manner? Uh, um, 
personally, I don't know. You don't know? <laughs> yeah, because before I didn't uh, need to use, uh, I suppose that yes, but I didn't need to actually go search for opens. Uh, you didn't think, you didn't know this was a thing, I guess, right? I or, mean, I, I kind of knew that it's a thing, but I didn't know where to search for it. And I didn't know, yeah, for my projects, I didn't need uh, to introduce the data science or data analysis or or anything. So I wasn't really going there to search for those data sets. So I don't know to which the extent they are uh, accessible. But yeah, but like right now, as we got into this subject and we really try to uh, understand what uh, kinds of information is quantifiable, what kind of data is accessible, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like even this New York example, I wouldn't ever think that um, dogs barking on the street can be translated into data. You know, yeah. so I think it's it goes a little bit beyond um, only the standard standard of living, but also the understanding of what can we translate into data. And this is not a general um, knowledge, or maybe it's not even knowledge, it's the consciousness. It's, it's like we've been in a, I guess I would describe it as an on and off relationship. I mean, I've always been concerned about the data privacy, but at this end cookies, and at the same time, uh, while doing research or whatever, and at the same time, I uh, I need this tool. And uh, I need this data and I, I want to share it. It's just on and off. And I mean, I've never thought before that would be tracking dogs barking and trash. <laughs> and uh, like even when you sit in a park, it would be a data for someone. And uh, like footfall or uh, reading your book. Um, I'm, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that we're now dealing with in IAC and MACT. And like a lot of data sets that I've never thought of. But I feel it's... It's always there, as we said previously. I mean, we wouldn't have thought of information being in that shape before. Yeah, and on the other hand, I feel like this question of data data sharing is um, is kind of being taken for granted because people feel like uh, they are taking being taken taken for granted because no matter what they do, somehow someone somehow will collect this data. Uh, and they are being, feel, they feel like they are being used. But on the other hand, we don't give anything back for what we can take from it. You know, like, I mean, um, that maybe we take data for granted because it was always there. It's always there. Yeah, I guess. You can always access, uh, Wikipedia or I don't know. Yeah, the, other the easy access of it. Like I mean, yeah. when you have easy access to information or to data, it makes it you make it makes it really taken for granted. Mm. It's always there. I can access it whenever I want. Uh, I mean, uh, few clicks and you get anywhere, everywhere with uh, any kind of information that you need. People should get incentivized and rewarded for sharing their data. Mm -hmm. And this is, I guess, the unfairness that we're living right now. They feel like their uh, people are, um, uh, data collectors are taking their data without even rewarding them. But at the same time, what do you expect if you are, you have free access to the internet all the time? No one would give you any info if they're not taking in, uh, in, in back something from you.
So the problem is not with taking back data from you, but also that you're not getting rewarded for it. Because I guess people, and honestly, I feel like if they would get rewarded for any kind of data that they are generating anywhere, definitely they wouldn't mind the privacy and a lot of stuff they are now concerned about and they're fearing of. It really sounds that we're discussing a tool, though, at the end of the day. I mean, it, it's a, it's yet another manifestation of a technology uh, that, I mean, depending on whose hand it falls in uh, and the intentions of that person can be used either for good or for bad. I mean, yes, when we're discussing social media, we all have these examples of, you know, I mean, the, the, the famous, let's say, Facebook debacle with uh, uh, all our data being used uh, in the States uh, to rig elections or, you know, uh, go get a deeper understanding of our private lives and things like this. But where you give these these data to an urban planner or an urbanist, all of a sudden it's something that is for a good cause, exactly. right? Because you, us urbanists, we are the ones that, you know, we are, our, our, our sites are always on the good, on the good side superheroes. of the, the, the superheroes, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Give us your data. We are the right people to, to, to give the data to, right? Because we want to plan better cities. We want to plan uh, better public spaces and things like this. So there's definitely this to take into consideration. Who is asking your data? The thing is that this is not always clear because usually what is asking for your data is an impersonal screen uh, and it's not necessarily, it doesn't have a face, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and sometimes you can also manufacture that face. Um, so maybe maybe there needs to be some sort of a, uh, a deeper, more elaborate disclaimer as to who it is that is uh, it is we're giving our data to. Because, yeah, that fear, I, I, I also feel that it exists, but is also partly due to the, the, the system of collection is designed in a way where uh, it doesn't allow you to have, let's say, a deeper understanding of who you're giving it to, why you're giving it, what it's going to be used by. These things are not always clear. One of the recordings uh, that we got is the... the ins uh, it was an insight full thinking about getting data from you while you're shopping online. That like a simple thing that you would do every day now. And, uh, okay. It's really frustrating that they would get every, your preferences. They would target you with ads, but at the same time, uh, the positive side of it. So this, uh, this student, 18 years old student said that she thinks that it's nice because sometimes she gets discounts like alerts and advertisement related discounts of stuff that she's interested in. So it's not, bad to target you with ads, but maybe there isn't, I guess it depends on the users. Yeah, I would say that data is not imposing on how we should use it. It just, it's just there. We can go and get this discount or not, right? Mm -hmm. It's like our, every time is our choice. Like every time we want to use data, we can choose not to do so or do so in the way A, B, or C, right? Like an imposing partner. They, <laughs> they think of it as an imposing partner. I mean, as if someone is really not, like data is not neutral. I mean, as if we ourselves didn't have anything to say. It's like we ourselves are are kind of getting rid of the responsibility of choosing how to deal with it. Yeah. How to... How to manage those data. Right? I, I agree. I agree. 
Okay, definitely data would uh, force strong insights about any topic, but it wouldn't force anything. It, it It's just there for, there is a reason behind it being there. And uh, I guess I, I it makes me, it, I'm back to your question, Alex, concerning uh, when did you feel that you dealt with data or you were exposed to data collection or mm-hmm. I guess the, I was exposed to it many times, but I guess the one that was a bit of a good cause, let's say, was during the Beirut blast in 2020, when it, we had like, beside the death and damages and like uh, the displacement that happened in the city because of this, what, what happened, it was really horrible. But at the same time, it, it was a game changer for digitalization and for uh, thinking about how can we contribute. Mm. And uh, uh, one of the companies really tried to create this open mapping data. And it was something very new. Like in Barcelona, it would be normal. In Lebanon, is in Beirut, is something new uh, as well that it's re- uh, related to re- something that is really happening. And it had to be like a fast response and a prompt response. And uh, they they tried to... Ecopia um, a- 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 AI did with Maxar Technologies uh, by overlapping uh, satellite, Im- satellite imagery uh, actual one and uh, pre-blast uh, taken ones and try to come up with like generating this 2D building footprints within the 10 kilometer radius of the of the blast mm. and how can they contribute in this, this their own specialization specialization <laughs> yeah exactly their own uh, like uh, expertise and uh, I guess this kind of contribution uh, really made us think about it, can make us think about it in a mm-hmm. different way. Um, now I think about the example of, like in in Vienna, you know, that uh, there was an app that citizens could have, like, in, suggest where the trees should be planted. So it's a great example of, like, people's partici- introducing people's participation into urban planning by collecting their opinions in the form of data actually but that mm-hmm. that's a that's a very clever way to actually bring people closer to data because in the end you're masking uh what you want which is a data set a spreadsheet right mm-hmm. uh with the um, you're looking specifically for three columns right uh, or two columns if anything x and y longitude and latitude the location of the people's desires mm-hmm. right and then you, you want to put that spreadsheet into a software that will pop up a map, a map. And thus you have a map of what the people want. But you cannot just go to the people. A map of desires. A map of <laughs> desires, exactly. You can't just go to the people saying, hey, we, you know, we want this spreadsheet, please fill it out. Mm. We tend to mask uh, these, uh, these strategies, let's say, through sophisticated software, tablets, apps that have... Uh, user-friendly interfaces, right? So we kind of like, we, we need to somehow make it easier for the user so that we can get at the end this one spreadsheet, mm. right? And I think this is a very interesting practice because it's true that we kind of like have to hide the, 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 the our needs as practitioners, as planners through technology. And technology is there at its best, the means to an end, Honestly, right. I think it's valid for many, many professions. Yeah. Like architects are making beautiful drawings, right? To actually 
sell something that not not always is this perfect, you know? Or I I can't think of another example, but, but like I think you're onto something. No, we're like we make these beautiful, sophisticated drawings to convince the client, and you don't always make a building that is exactly like the drawings. Sure. But the, the beauty in the drawings and the renders is always a user-friendly interface for the client to see his or her vision be manifested in sometimes a, an artistic form, which is not always very close to the reality. And it's also true with what we do, I think, and the way we represent data in the maps that we create is not necessarily the exact image of what the final project will be. Correct? Definitely. That, that's why we can ask based on everything that we just said, like, is, is there something actually wrong with data or is no. it ourselves? <laughs> it's ourselves. You know? It's not data. I guess it's, <laughs> it's you. you. <laughs> it's you. It's you. I mean, data is not broken. Let, let's face it. The, I guess the user, how we use it is the thing that we're, we should be looking at. Um, and the, this, like, the users as well of this data, their actions, their motivations, their intentions, uh, while trying to come up with a nice interface is not a bad thing. Like, mm. I mean, reverse psychology with the color, I mean, graphic design as well, uh, doing this beautiful interfaces beside the technicalities of it is just part of the psychology of marketing and targeting people, not in a bad way, but we have to always put this sugar coated thing on, on stuff as if we're doing a bad thing by collecting data. So that's why, yeah, that's why. I think uh, it's crucial to educate people on how to use this data in an ethical way and mm. intelligent way, mm. especially because we don't expect everybody to be data scientists and understand the data and analyze it, whatever. It's just we are all a part of the ecosystem that is being created and we all contribute either we want, no matter if we want it or not, but we do. And so better do it in a good way and contribute to good causes that we are ethically and morally on the same page with, like crime, crime, climate crisis, etc. This really makes me think, I mean, I've been thinking about this for the last years quite a lot because, I mean, we've seen the intersection of urbanism, architecture, planning, design-related practices with data science quite intensely. Uh, the field, I feel, is maturing. Uh, the discussions are more mature than ever. We know what we're talking about. There's examples out there to, to back up our claims uh, and, you know, to, uh, to, also, um, to also prove sometimes that we're wrong. Uh, in, in our, in our um, uh, guesses. Uh, but I'm wondering about what's next because data seems to have already become a key tool in the tool set of the architect and the planner, just like the pen and the paper, the map and the data set is now maybe not in all places in the world, but I feel that it's, it's getting there. More than ever, it's getting there. Uh, so what can we foresee in the next 10 years? What do future younger generations think of our of this obsession that we've had 
with data sets and spreadsheets and geolocations and GPSs and satellite imagery and all these things. For them, it's going to be, you're going to be taking it for granted, right? Or am I wrong? Yeah, I think, I think this is what is happening. We start taking it for granted. At the same time, we're at the point when um, not everybody are on the same page today with the utility of data and ethics behind it. Mm -hmm. So in order to um, think about what's, go what's next, um, we need to be on the same page today. And maybe to do so, we should ask ourselves the question, like, what would be the world without it? Like, if we can even imagine it without it. And if it's something, like, what would, you, what would we do without data today? What would be the world be like? And only then we can start collectively pro progressing to something yeah. else. I'm sure we've seen it multiple, multiple of times. I mean, this doubtful, uh, you know, nature of people, like uh, just categorizing uh, uh, good or bad. I mean, especially when talking about essential uh, stuff. But like one of the comments that we got, uh, and I'm, I keep referring to the recording because it really touches what's happening in our community and what's been saying about data. And there's one of them says that data is a strong asset, which is a really, and honestly, we talk to people from different age categories, different professions, and, and people that are not related to data science directly. Uh, it can be a school, uh, like a student or a, or a marketer or so, uh, or a, an old guy. So uh, it's it, like a, a mature uh, businessman. So it, it's really different, not only urbanist, but I guess uh, even the slogan that we're, we've heard it a lot, like uh, data is the new oil and these like propagandas that we're hearing in the media uh, concerning data, people would fear like data mm -hmm. immediately. Even if you're saying something that is encouraging, like data is the new oil, it means that you're just promoting it as the tool of the future. And like, it's really important for any yeah. profession. But mm -hmm. at the same time, these big slogans would definitely make people just do a step back. back and, yeah. But it really, I guess, triggers our thinking concerning yeah. what's next. Yeah, it makes me think also because basically this slogan was the base of um, the talk of um, Joachim Brecha, I'm sorry if I'm butchering his surname, but it was the International Research Day, I guess. And he was depicting how we as a humanity kind of became um, con comfortable with the thing that the oil, will, we will run out of oil at a certain point. And we are getting comfortable with this uh, image because we know what's next. But when it comes to data, it's quite scary to imagine the scenario when the, when suddenly it's not there because all the public services are going to suffer. Uh, governments would not ha know how to deliver and who and how, what should they provide for? Mm. Or I know even not to mention the overproduction that would happen and non-existent waste management. So in terms of climate crisis, it's very, it's really, really crucial to understand that this is the way to, and maybe the only way to make our 
earthly existence more sustainable because otherwise we cannot keep track on that. And I, I really ask myself, does it really, um, does it really make sense to imagine this reality? Because I don't know, now it's like marriage kind of situation, you know, it's for good. <laughs> forever. <laughs> forever. forever. Uh, otherwise we would be miserable. At this and this is the death part. Is yeah. the, <laughs> the death to us part, I guess. And I guess Love even death, death yeah. more for our environment, like even yeah. more than, than before. But if you want to stay sustainable, maybe we should go back being in the caves. What do you think? Yes, in the <laughs> tree houses. Well, there's there's one, I think, side of data that we're still not uh, fully proficient at. So I feel that this drive to understand the environmental impact of our actions has driven us to uh, to be experts at what we call environmental data, quantitative data, data to measure let's say, our performance uh, and our impact on the planet, right, and, our, and, and on the environment, whether it is the urban or the non-urban. There's this one side that I, think I see is currently being developed, which is qualitative data, mm. right, opinions, feelings. This is much more related to artificial intelligence, uh, the artistic perception of humans, um, the, the, the abstract words, text. I think this is still under construction. We're still not there yet, but definitely it's the, the, the development is incremental, mm. exponential, if anything. Um, how do you see this uh, field growing in the future and affecting uh, planners? I think we're in the process of understanding what it is, but that's, that's why I said like before that collectively we should be on the same page with data and like for innovation like this it's always crucial to be on the same page globally about where we are going and um, and it's the same situation like even on the even if data is so omnipresent right now we're still not in the same page and with AI even less so it's something that is very much progressive because we are on the same page with newspapers and books already right but we weren't always and this was the evolution of the of this process right yeah, we like got here yeah. somehow and we will get there with other technologies as well it's just that we need to be um reassured that it's mm, useful for our own good you know and that we uh, we are doing it for for a reason, and I absolutely think that AI will be more and more exponential. But it needs time. Yeah, it's it, it, it's it would be a slow uh, reconciliation with <laughs> with AI, especially. But we shouldn't be pessimistic, that's for sure, because any tool can be used for the good and for the bad. It's better to be optimistic and to say that it's work in progress, like it will never be perfect. We're trying to make it perfect and the AI has the data that we provide. It, 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 at the end of the day, it reflects the society that we come from.
The master plan is a project of IAX Master in City and Technology, a program that is redefining the analysis, planning, and design of cities around the world. The show is produced at the Institute for Advanced Architecture of Catalonia, located in sunny, ever so beautiful Barcelona.